Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Charlie. I'm Coleman. Today, we are joined by Jessica Katz, founder and executive director of the Chicagoland Exotic Animal Rescue, CLEAR. CLEAR's mission is to rescue and rehabilitate abandoned and stray exotic birds, reptiles, and fish species that are commonly found in the pet trade and rehome them to a household that will be the very best fit for their needs. CLEAR also strives to educate the community about the unique care needs of these uncommon pets. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled you're here, especially because I want to start with this first question. Well, actually, you know what? First, let's say, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to found Clear? Absolutely. So as a proud Andersonville resident of four years, I moved to the neighborhood because it is such a community-oriented neighborhood, and that's always been very integral to who I am as a person. I have a background in animal science and wildlife biology and a master's in nonprofit management. So I jokingly say that this is all part of my evil plan to make the world a better place. (laughs) (laughs) And founding Clear has been an aspiration of mine for over a decade, really, since I was in grad school in my early 20s. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I I was, we were reading up about it, obviously, before we had this interview with you today. And I've never heard of an organization that does what you do. So I'm very excited to talk to you about it. And that leads perfectly into my first question. Jessica, what exactly classifies an exotic animal? Depending on who you talk to, the classification could be a little flexible. For Our organizational purposes, we are looking at birds, reptiles, and fish commonly found in the pet trade. So when you walk into uh, one of the big chain pet stores, you're going to see parakeets for sale. You're going to see leopard geckos and bearded dragons and turtles and fish. And regardless of how we feel as an institution about the fact that people are selling them, there are always animals that need our support. And we are the only licensed exotic animal rescue in the city of Chicago. That means we're licensed by the state to be an animal shelter. We're a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. So if you make a donation to us, 100% of your donation goes to the care of these animals. I spend a lot of my own money on them too, I will admit. (laughs) Nonprofits. I regret nothing. Well, actually, before we jump into uh, Coleman, I know you have a question, but I want to jump into something uh, off what you just said, because you mentioned if you go into a pet store, you see these animals. And I mean, I remember when I was younger, you know, the fun thing was we'd go to we'd go to the Waterworks Mall near us and Petland would be there and we'd want to go into Petland and see all the animals. And since then, we've learned a lot about how unhealthy and detrimental that Uh, environment in that industry is to animals and the idea of going in and looking at the dogs or looking at the rabbits in those pet stores has a way different connotation now than it did before so i mean uh i i'm curious in your experience and how long you've been doing this have you seen a drop in the need to rescue these animals from these pet stores or these large brands in this industry I've been in the field for 20 years since my very first job in high school when I started working at the PetSmart in Evanston. And they were really good about educating me as a high school student. And to be fair, I spent all of my lunch breaks reading books on these animals so that I could know 
everything there was to know when I was trying to sell them. I saw the large pet store stop selling large birds, which is, you know, macaws, full-size cockatoos, things that live to be 75 or 80 years old. I want you to picture the same excitement and energy of going to a pet store like that when you were a child, but think about an animal shelter built on a nature center model of education and community involvement. I want us to have a facility like that in the ward in the neighborhood. That is my ultimate goal. And I'm very fortunate to have such an involved board that is so participatory and also loves this concept. So on a rainy day, people with small kids may come to clear and interact with our educational ambassadors and learn a bit about turtles and maybe why you shouldn't have a turtle at home unless you have a lot of space for it, that sort of thing. We want to be an entrenched entity within this community. Yeah, no, that's good. You mentioned that you specialize mainly in exotic birds, reptiles, and fish. Is there a reason why those animals specifically are what you focus on? It's very ironic that my last name is Katz, (laughs) K-A-T-Z, and I have a degree in animals, and I am allergic to pretty much everything that is furry. (laughs) So I've always had an affinity for the things that aren't going to try and stop my lungs from working. (laughs) So I have discovered over time that I am allergic to a couple species of birds and I have to be cognizant of that when I'm accepting them into care or sending them into foster. I was wondering why my eyes were itching for three months last year until I realized that the cockatiels were making them itch. So the idea was to bring into care things that were not going to exacerbate my allergies. Yeah, that's Probably for the best. <laughs> and we're here to fill a niche as well. There, Like I said, there's no one else who does what we do. And this is the right neighborhood to do that in. Yeah, I mean, I you don't I, I don't necessarily when I hear exotic for animals, the uh, the first thing I think of is not necessarily a reptile or um, or a fish. You're saying Tiger King. I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, saying Tiger King, although I think I'd blocked out that section of my life when Tiger King came out. Ooh, talk about animals needing rescue. So, OK, I'm going to move on to because I, I was reading through your website and you've mentioned educating a few times already. And I love the mantra of your website you have, you know, rescue, rehabilitate, rehome, and educate. I love that. I think it's very clear, pun not intended. Uh, I think it's a very clear mission statement, especially, you know, nonprofits sometimes I think have some trouble getting their real mission across in their mission statement. But I'm curious as to what situations and circumstances are these animals being rescued from and how do they end up in those circumstances that's a very popular question and we are at a little under 150 rescues in the past three years uh, both before we incorporated as an organization during the year i did this on my own and then once we became a nonprofit entity i have had all sorts of weird stories on the fourth of july last week or the week before I had a friend of my cousin call me saying, I am deathly terrified of snakes. I have a true phobia and my husband found a snake in Rogers Park. It is clearly not a wild garter snake. Can you take it? So at 1130 on 3rd of July, (laughs) as as fireworks were going off everywhere, it's not like I was sleeping anyway, a random guy brought me a, a very tiny, adorable snake. 
And the happy ending, this is only the second time out of 142 critters that we were able to reunite little baby snake with her people. She had gotten out across the alley, even through that deluge of three inches of rain. She survived. She was out for two weeks. Sometimes accidents happen. Sometimes somebody forgets that their bird is on their shoulder and they walk out the door. They open the garage door. We have had landlords bring us birds when their tenants were incapacitated or have passed away. I've had several birds that are the result of unfortunate passings. And I will say a couple times I've seen them be evil geniuses who can get out of their cages. And (laughs) I always know who those are because 10 minutes later, they are not in their enclosures anymore. (laughs) I mean, one of my favorite, you know, when I'm doom scrolling on my phone, it's a lot of mostly animals and cakes on my phone. And one of my favorite things is seeing birds that are clearly very, very smart. And uh, those videos of them opening their cages very easily. They are brilliant. And there's never a dull moment in my home or in our foster homes because they add so much fulfillment and enrichment. And we also strive to give them the best care possible. All of our animals go to the vet within a week. We have an incredible veterinary partner that I've been taking animals to since I was in high school 20 years ago. That's Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital in Skokie. And we're there just about every week. So I want you to imagine how much it costs for you to take your animal to the vet once or twice a year and compound that because... We're taking multiple critters to Skokie every week. So we're always looking for transport volunteers. We're always looking for people to support our efforts. Yeah. So going off of that, you mentioned kind of uh, rehabilitation and whatnot. So what kind of rehabilitation do these animals normally require? What does that entail? That's a great question. So just like any other pet that you might have at home, your traditional dog or cat, uh, these munchkins can get infections. And when you only weigh 30 grams, it is the kind of illness that these animals are generally prey species and they want to hide it because if they're weak, they're going to be preyed upon by a predator in the wild. So you can't tell oftentimes that an animal is sick until they show it. So a lot of our critters have either yeast infections or bacterial GI infections or sometimes parasitic infections. That takes two weeks to clear and requires two vet visits you know, the initial checkup and the follow-up. I have a little girl right now, a parakeet that has a dislocated leg. We still don't know how that happened. So she's going back to the vet every two weeks or every 10 days maybe to get her cast redone until she's over it. Uh, I've been treating a leopard gecko who had surgery. So he's going back for his follow-up this afternoon. It's, like I said, never a dull moment. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, you kind of already touched on this, but, you know, even just the parakeet that has a dislocated leg or foot, it seems like every one of these animals has a different special need to be cared for. And I know you've you've been doing this for a long time. It must be so much to juggle to have, you know, this bird that needs this particular special need and this lizard that needs this particular special need. I mean, I imagine you kind of have to be on point or on call at all times for this on top of, I know, your other full-time job that you have. This is very true. I have, I call it the spreadsheet of doom (laughs) and uh, that has uh, all of the animals, uh, what we call signalment. So who they are, what they are, what's going on with them when they're going to the vet, what medications they're getting. I did wildlife rehab for six months right out of college and I was very well trained 
about how to manage medicating. I never wanted to go to veterinary school because I need the supervision of exotics vet. And our vets are so great about training and teaching me what needs to be done so that I can carry it out. Uh, We have three permanent resident birds, our son, Conyer Bingo, who I, he's my birdie soulmate, and you'll see us walking around the neighborhood. Uh, He gets three medications twice a day. Mm. Our permanent resident, Bella, who came to us after her human passed away, she needs two meds twice a day, and I didn't expect for her to pick me, but once she started sitting on my head and my glasses and my phone and preening my hair, I, (laughs) I just said, fine, Bella, you can stay. So we work with our permanent residents. If they stay with us, they need to have something to do. They need enrichment, just like any other critter. And they're the ones that we take to do educational programming. Yeah. I'm interested in what you just said. You said, Bella, that you didn't expect her to pick you. I, I know we, you know, we talk about how, you know, animals become familiar and, and attached to their people, but I mean, do you have issues with animals being very resistant to taking these medications, to being treated? I mean, it's- Absolutely. I, I know you cat owners out there know what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same type of situation. You cannot hide these oral medications in a pill pocket. Uh, so I have to, don't try this at home. I, I towel the birds with a clean washcloth and you have to manipulate them in a certain way so that you can get the meds into their mouths while they are yelling at you. It's just like having a cat or a child. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm starting to think a child would be easier than my cat. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the most difficult part about these rescues and rehabilitations? We work really hard to make sure that quality of life is maintained and it breaks my heart when one of my adopters reaches out to me six months, a year later and say, so-and-so passed away. Uh, I had one leopard gecko in rehab who didn't make it last year. And we've had to develop rituals for when we have to say goodbye to a critter. There's a certain song we play. You may remember it. If you ever watched the movie babe that came out in 1995, (laughs) If I had words to make a day for you, I would sing you a morning golden and new. I would make this day last for all time and give you a night full of moonshine. So if we have to say goodbye to somebody or if we lose somebody, we hold them if they allow it and we play that song for them and acknowledge them. When we have a facility, I aspire to having a memory wall. So we get ceramic hearts with their footprints or what have you. And it's really important to me that our foster families aren't as involved as they want to be and never overwhelmed. That's my nonprofit background talking. We don't want to cause volunteer fatigue, but that's the amazing thing about this neighborhood. People always want to step up for the critters. And yeah, that's another thing just off the top of my head I'd like to ask because, so for instance, I've always been curious about fostering, but I know one of the issues I would have is getting attached and not being able to let go. You know, that's I'm I'm a sentimental person when it comes to animals and I I have just because this is what you do, I I'm always curious like how do you compartmentalize that? How do you, you know, how do you get you have to get attached to these animals to really I think feel for them or take care of them, I assume. And then but you also have to be able to let them go. Absolutely. And it's important to compartmentalize, not become too desensitized. There's some something called compassion fatigue 
and you feel too much. And I've had to acknowledge that a time or two, uh, which is why I have a very stringent population. Like I try and keep our critters at no more than 12. We're at 14 right now. Please help. (laughs) (laughs) And I like to tell my foster families that there are three types of journeys. I don't believe in foster failure. They're just different types of success. Long journeys, short journeys, or forever journeys. There's no wrong answer here. They're all different types of success as long as the animal's being cared for and the people are getting what they need out of these animals and feeling fulfilled from the experience. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, I, I, I would hope and imagine you have people that are as dedicated to helping these animals as you are. I love our board. Uh, we are just about to finish up our first two-year term and our board came together really organically and just happens to be comprised of all LGBTQ, et cetera, and or women. So we're, I think, an excellent example of a cross-section of the neighborhood, even though some of our board members are as far away as Michigan. <laughs> we really have the community involvement that we need, even though there's always room for more. That's why we love being members of the chamber. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Great plug there, too. <laughs> In terms of the educate part of your mission, uh, how do you kind of go about doing that? Are there particular resources that you could offer for those who would want more information? Absolutely. Please visit our website, clearrescue, C-L-E-A-R-E-S-C-U-E.org, and get in touch with me. I am so lucky. My grown-up job is at a facility called the Self-Help Home, and I bring critters there Uh, with some regularity to interact with our residents. My master's work was on pet therapy. And we would love to expand that to kids' birthday parties and other programs where you would love to meet our 15-year-old corn snake jubilee or hang out with Bingo the Sun Conure and learn more about them. So again, going back to being an animal shelter conceptualized on a nature center model, if you go to a nature center in the area, the Nordabart Museum, what have you, they're going to have educational programming. And I think that's really important for us as an institution to help people understand what these animals need so that they're going to the best homes ever. And I mean, you've mentioned a couple times that, you know, uh, sort of a jokingly help. Uh, And I I know, uh, I'm sure I know you probably need help from all aspects, from people adopting to people helping take care of, even if they're, I mean, can people, what are the different ways people can volunteer? Because I'm the sort of person that would love to adopt a bird or foster a bird, but I, I can't in my apartment, you know? So, I mean, what are other ways people can help if they can't adopt? We, there's always room for, for assistance. We appreciate people's help. And, one cultural aspect of our organization is we're kid-friendly. A lot of other animal rescues have to put the kibosh on having kids in homes for certain pets or they don't allow kid volunteers. Our youngest volunteer started when she was 10. She comes over at least once a week and she fosters for me with parental supervision. So if there are kids who need community service hours for school or what have you, we would love to have you if you are an adult who wants to uh, be the birdie bus once a week and drive to or from <laughs> Skokie, uh, we would really appreciate that. Uh, we are always looking for foster homes. And again, long, short, or forever, there's no wrong answer. And we work with you to make sure that your household is a safe and comfortable place for whichever critter catches your interest. And of course, you can always support our mission by visiting our website and making a donation. And 
for these animals, for people that say might want to adopt permanently or or foster for a short period of time, are there particular neat skills that they need to have for this? Because obviously you've mentioned you know how to give birds medicine that can be a little more difficult. I, I know I don't. I would want to treat them very well and take care of them very well, but is there anything people need to know ahead of time or should have some familiarity with? Regardless of whether someone wants to foster or adopt, we want to make this as easy a process as possible for everyone, for critters and people. So I don't send out medical critters to foster. Mm -hmm. If you're getting an animal, then it's been vetted recently, it's healthy, it's been vet checked. Fosters and adopters get all the equipment that the animal comes with. So if it's a stray, we always have extra cages for birds. We try and give them as much out time as possible. But under supervision, of course, if somebody wants to foster a reptile, they get the enclosure and all the heat and lights and everything. And our adoption fees really just cover our vet visits. So getting all of the equipment and a healthy animal, it's, it's all a bonus. It's just like any traditional animal shelter in that way. It's great. It really pulls the sort of commercial industry aspect out of all of it. It really I mean, you know, that's it's. It feels personal. It feels I, that's the sort of thing where I'd really, as opposed to adopting an animal from a large chain, you know, or, or you know, a pet store, it kind of feels like I'm doing something to truly help if I'm if I'm working with you and working with your organization. I think that as our millennial generation grows and evolves into these leadership positions, you will see a shift in that direction in the culture. I think of animal rescue as not only something to help the critters, but a lot of what we do is therapy for the people. It's encouragement and compassion and helping people prioritize and talk through behavioral issues they may be experiencing. That's a whole part of the package. That's what you get when you become a part of the clear community. So yeah, with you not being one of the big brands, one of the big chains, you're getting down there, you're doing the work. What are kind of some of the issues you've ran into while trying to get this nonprofit up and running? Are there any legal or political kind of issues that keep popping up that you guys have to deal with? I will never forget the day that a woman reached out to me from Park Ridge right when we were planning our inaugural board meeting and said, I'm an attorney. How can I help you? She is now one of our prolific foster moms. She has somehow manages being a mom of many birds and four small humans and dogs and cats. And I greatly admire and respect her. And she has helped us make sure that our uh, adoption and foster contracts are in good order, that our organizational bylaws and filings are in good order. Just all of the nuts and bolts that come with founding a nonprofit. And we, we also have to have a good relationship with the state because we're licensed by the state to be in an animal shelter. Uh, we have to be stringent about the animals that we do or do not accept. We're not going to accept anything that's illegal to have in the state of Illinois, like venomous snakes. I don't want a venomous snake in my house. <laughs> that's where you call the DNR. <laughs> I don't think my neighbors would like it either. <laughs> Especially if those ones that are sneaky and get out of their, so get sneaky. Out of their compartments. So because I am a homeowner and I am my HOA president, I also have to be very cognizant of noise. I won't be bringing 16 critters into my house all at once or at all because I don't want to create any animosity with my neighbors. I really adore them and respect them and I want them to feel the same about me. I had my neighbor and their two-year-old come over this morning to meet a couple of the birds and that's the kind of relationship I want to foster, not the, why is your bird yelling? 
side note, our birds <laughs> go to bed at 6.30 p.m., so it works out really well. <laughs> well, my nieces and nephew don't go to bed that early. <laughs> so, and I guess one thing I'm curious about, um, you know, touching on Coleman's question about, like, political or, or, you know, legal issues, what would you say right now is the most detrimental aspect of this of this in I, I I don't want to use the word industry, but what what's field, field, this field of this field? Thank you. I've had people come to me because they've seen poorly treated critters at the local pet store or a small independent pet store in the suburbs. And we're not an advocacy organization. That's a different classification of nonprofit. In my wildest dreams, we will be so prolific as an institution that we will be able to spawn off and become a lobbying institution that's not something we're legally able to do. So I may have particular opinions about bits and pieces, but all I can really do is refer people with concerns to state entities or to city entities. Uh, We dealt with neglect cases where there was uncertainty about whether the individual whose animals were relinquished to us was fit to sign them over to us. So we had to get their social worker involved and the sheriff's office was the one doing the eviction. That was a really hard situation. All of the birds are elderly and the gentleman was elderly and it just, it got beyond him. He didn't realize that they were sick. He probably didn't realize that he was sick. And the good news is they're all doing okay. One of them was adopted to Missouri. A family came all the way up from Missouri to adopt a special needs lovebird who is just the sweetest, most amazing critter you can imagine. So we really have to be thoughtful about where we are in these legal processes and having an attorney to defer to, making sure that law enforcement know that we are available to assist, making sure that the bigger animal rescues like anti-cruelty and PAWS know that we are a resource. I mean, we work so well with Friends of Petrits, the neighborhood uh, mammal rescue. Sherry is amazing. Look her up, you all, if you haven't seen her. And I've been grateful to reach out to felines and canines when I have a question that Abby might know the answer to. So building relationships like this is one of my favorite things to do. And it's very important. One thing that I think our generation has really embraced is advocacy for any number of issues. And you mentioned you're not an entity that can go in and intrude and, um, you know, intervene with these pet stores if they're, you know, treating animals incorrectly. But could someone come to you? Like you mentioned this a little bit, but could someone come to you and say, I think my neighbor is neglecting their dog. I think, I know you don't deal, you know, generally deal with dogs, but you have those resources. We, we are here with the resources. I mean, we don't deal with pigeons, but we know Great Lakes Pigeon Rescue does amazing work. We don't deal with wild birds, but people tag me on neighborhood posts about wild birds all the time. And I will tell them to call Chicago Bird Collision Monitors because they are incredible. So knowing whom to reach out to is part of our job. Well, part of my job. It's something I train my board members on as our representatives. And I'm always here to answer these questions. I, I We joke in, in our family my mom and I, that we wake up cheerful. So <laughs> you're, you're generous. I've known you a little bit now. You're a very cheerful person. Uh, it's a I, choice. And I feel like uh, you, I mean, like you said, you have to kind of compartmentalize the attachment and the compassion, the exhaustion, the compassion exhaustion. I've never heard that before. And I think that's a really fantastic uh, 
idea, but uh, I, I feel like you kind of have to remain joyful if, to do this work because you are faced with so much difficulty and so many things with these animals that can be very, you know, hard to see. There are so many things to celebrate, whether it's that little baby 3rd of July snake reunification or <laughs> this lovebird I was just mentioning who is 19 years old and was adopted by a family from Missouri, a grad school classmate of mine who has experience with special needs lovebirds. She and her wife and their kids drove up from St. Louis to adopt this bird. Uh, this bird's foster mom got a tattoo of him because, oh. I mean, 47 grams of something that looks like a watermelon and just love. And he was neglected through no fault of anybody's, just circumstantially. And, and you just look in their eyes, especially the birds when they get soft eyes and they're happy and snuggly. Like, yes, we are, we're doing great today, everybody. It's all good. Are there things that people can look out for? Uh, you know, if they, you know, we mentioned if someone thinks they have an animal nearby by a neighbor being neglected or whatnot, what, what sort of things can people, should people look out for if they feel like they might uh, see an animal being treated inappropriately? Absolutely. Uh, some people would recommend calling 311 on that. I think that reaching out to anti-cruelty and making a report might be more expeditious. I just don't know. You can always call us to talk it out and we can help look up the statutes and see if what the situation may be. It's so different from situation to situation and I, you can't generalize. You know, we've talked a little bit in terms of people adopting or being able to help, you know, obviously as a nonprofit, financial donations are something that is always needed. You know, like you said, you have all these vet visits all the time. And all yeah, time. I, I, I do know uh, when I thought my cat accidentally ate an Advil, took him to the oh, vet and no. that was $2,000 and turns out he didn't. But um, but you do it because you love them, you know. So I guess in terms of the financial donations, where do you – you said the vet, but where does this go? Like where, you know, where are you – where is this money going specifically and where is it providing the most help for you? I buy so much bird food, you would not believe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose the animals have to eat. <laughs> uh, we – I mix – for our, our residents in-house, I mix bird food by hand for them. Uh, with a particular ratio to try and help them get onto a more healthy diet. It's like feeding bird seed all the time is, is like giving dogs or cats treats all the time. You want to give them pellets, which are just like kibble, which is enhanced nutrition. So under the auspices of our vet, I build relationships with exotic animal vendors uh, that have supplies like for reptiles, buying Reptile equipment is really expensive. I need to have cages ready, enclosures, you know, terrariums, uh, heat and light. We want to make them look pretty and provide enrichment. So I'm actually setting up a Russian tortoise at our senior facility at the self-help home for our residents. And we're going to make it in a way that has live plants and uh, bioactive soil so that my residents can help take care of the enclosure. And that costs money. And even though these vendors give us great discounts, I still put in a bit of my own money to make sure that this tortoise has the best enclosure ever. And we love giving our critters fresh produce. Sometimes the Andersonville Farmers Markets vendors are really helpful with that. But 100% of these donations go to the critters. And if people aren't 
interested in giving money, you can always go to our Amazon wish list, or you can call Chicago Exotics Animal Hospital on Dempster, 847-329-8709 to put money directly into our account. And my mom writes our thank you notes and she loves it. <laughs> so please give her work to do. <laughs> I'm also curious too, for people that do have birds, that have reptiles, that have fish, it's just because you mentioned people just want to give their birds pet bird seed and it's it's like giving a cat and dog or a dog treats all the time, which I learned the hard way you really shouldn't do because then you're cleaning up yeah. vomit a lot. <laughs> um, but what are some common misconceptions that pet owners have in terms of or things that, you know, a lot of people think taking uh, they take a shortcut and just, you know, I learned free feeding when my cat wasn't necessarily a good thing to do. But common misconceptions that pet owners have that can help in improve the health of their animals. Get your critters vetted. Take them to the vet once a year, if not more, just like you would a dog or a cat. I will never forget picking up a pair of parakeets from someone on Kenmore in Edgewater around Thanksgiving of 2021. And these girls had dowel perches, which are fine if somebody is differently abled as a bird or injured, but it's basically like wearing the same pair of shoes all the time. And it's Crocs. Let's say it's Crocs. And there was one toy in that enclosure and it was an old Christmas ornament. So just like your dogs and cats, exotics needed enrichment. Our reptiles, we ha we, infresh, we refresh their enclosures every two weeks with different things to climb on and we rearrange the furniture so maybe they can explore in a different way. We try to replicate their natural environments as best as we can with the resources we have. Is there a good way for, I mean, we've talked a lot about how expensive these things can be. Is there, are there uh, I'm sure you know all the secrets, but good affordable ways that home pet owners, you know, can do these things without, uh, you know, obviously they want to take care of their animals the best they can. But what are what are some good secrets or, or tips in terms of keeping everything fresh? So for reptiles who may destroy live plants, which I've had on occasion, I've gone to Gethsemane and asked for the leftover fake foliage. Mm which I can usually get for very affordable. They're a great community partner. And so I might set up different reptile enclosures with that instead of the live plants that are going to get destroyed in two weeks and we'll cycle them out over time. I also really aspire to have kids build bird toys, which would be a great project with appropriate wood and paper and other things to shred. So that would be a super fun birthday party project or school donation project, what have you, because our critters growth go through toys really quickly. Our permanent resident, Bella, is one of the most prolific paper shredders. I mean, <laughs> I, I should just give her my paper instead of shredding in the actual shredder. So anything that we can do to mimic the natural behaviors that they have in the wild. Parakeets are Australian grassland songbirds. We're not in Australia. We don't have grasslands. Except, Not for in the, Chicago. except for the prairies. <laughs> so what can we do that will help them be the, their best selves in terms of their behavioral health? Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned that you were the only exotic animal rescue that's licensed in the city of Chicago. So why Andersonville then? The golden question. Why did you come to Andersonville and kind of set up shop here originally? And how has the neighborhood responded to that? I'm so lucky because I actually live here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and... 
one of the ways that the neighborhood has responded to us, I was walking my dog in January or February of 2022 outside of FIA. And this wonderful woman stopped and said, can I take a picture of your dog? And I said, well, yes, of course. Who are you? And we started talking. And now that person is our older woman, Lenny Mana Hoppenworth. So if that's not an example of how welcoming and open our community is for all pet lovers, I don't know what. When we have get-togethers or neighborhood fundraisers at different restaurants and I say raise your hand if you have a pet at home it's very rare that not everyone raises their hands people look out for critters for us some one of my neighbors across the street called me while I was out of town last year because there was a parakeet outside of Seska's my neighbor next door accidentally brought a frog home from Florida and didn't know what to oh do my gosh. With it. I know <laughs> That happens way more than I would expect. Really? Yes. Wow. Stray, stray small critters. We had an anole, which is a small lizard that was found in Rogers Park last November outside. They hitchhike on plants. So people know who to call. I, I joke that I'm your friendly neighborhood crazy bird lady, but I, I'm really your friendly neighborhood licensed crazy bird lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is in terms of, you know, you've said the neighborhood has responded very positively. And I know um, being the only licensed organization for this, and I'm sure is something you're very proud of. And at the same time, very, very difficult, uh, can be very difficult. I mean, do you have trouble getting your, your mission across? Do you have trouble, you know, educating or do you have trouble like really getting the word out about who you are? Because obviously that's one of the things we as the chamber want to help with is making sure people are aware uh, and so I'm curious, the best ways to do that that you found. Spread the word about us. Word of mouth is so important. And that's that's why we love being chamber members. We don't have very much visibility outside the immediate neighborhood because we are a small home foster-based institution. But we want to change that. We want to be your destination for animal encounters and education. When you think about it, there's nowhere to go between Lincoln Park Zoo and, say, the Chicago Botanic Gardens, between here and there, between Lincoln Park and Northbrook, where do you go if you want to hang out with animals and you can't have them at home? Come see us. We'll have a facility one day. Well, and I like that you mentioned that, you know, you have opportunities for kids to come by. I mean, that's exactly the sort of thing that I would love to do with my nieces and my nephew is is bring them by and be, have them be able to interact with these animals in a way that's safer and more, you know, uh, humanitarian or rescue uh, local way. instead Res- of shop local. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. We like shop local, but rescue local. Rescue local. In this situation. Um, yeah. What else? What other opportunities do people have to interact with the organization? We have a dine at Taste of Heaven to Benefit Clear coming up on Wednesday, July 26th in the evening. So come join Dan McCauley and some of our volunteers and eat good food to benefit the rescue. A percentage of the proceeds from that evening will go back to us and we're going to go spend it at the vet the next day, I'm sure. So (laughs) we appreciate it and the food is delicious. And then in the events that someone did want to pursue, say, having a birthday party, uh, is this the sort of thing where you would bring you can bring animals to them? They can come to you. I mean, that's such a fun idea. It it depends on this on what they want. And it's generally by donation. So we, we don't even have a fee structure set up yet because it's still one of those programs that is in its infancy. 
So reach out to us via email or give us a call if your small human is getting bigger and, <laughs> and we will all celebrate together. I guess the final thing that comes to my mind in terms of, because I love getting kids involved and I think of this all the time now, if you have a family that wants to foster or, you know, we, we always think of the phrase of parents saying, um, you know, getting a dog is a good opportunity to teach them responsibility. And these exotic animals obviously have a different type of care that they need. And I could imagine that getting uh, a parakeet or getting a, a reptile or a fish that has more specific needs is a great way of learning these all different kinds of responsibilities too. A hundred percent. I started taking over my family 29 gallon aquarium when I was nine and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> so uh, yes, our, our young volunteers and adopters are so gregarious and we love them and nurturing them and helping them succeed. And I don't have kids of my own, so I am very grateful for the opportunity to spend time with yours. Yeah, that's wonderful. Just personal curiosity wise, are parrots considered exotic birds? Yes, they are. They are, okay. We, are, we have one coming to us this afternoon who was found outside during one of these deluges that we've had lately. Uh, she is an Amazon parrot. We don't know how old she is. She was found in Humboldt Park. Nobody claimed her. The stray hold in the state of Illinois is seven days. So we'll keep trying for another seven days in all of our channels to try and find her people. But we have to do what we can for these critters. They're going to live for decades. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm from Southern California, and we had parrots all over the place. I remember at a hardware store as a kid, they had a little parrot, and he always just said, like, Robert, every time, like, Robert. <laughs> and I remember as a kid just thinking that was the coolest thing. I was like, the bird can talk? If you're a business owner in the neighborhood, and it would be appropriate to have a critter in your office, reptiles don't make any noise, and they're not really smelly or anything, <laughs> or a bird let us know. I've tried that a couple times on Clark Street to varying levels of success. <laughs> How do these, you know, I mean, you mentioned the frog coming back from Florida and you mentioned this this parrot, you know, an Amazon parrot. I mean, how do these animals get here? It's it's that's crazy to me. <laughs> there in 1992, there was a treaty called CITES that came out that made it illegal to import wild birds. So, any of the exotics that you see, whether with us or elsewhere, are bred in the United States. But I don't know what the laws are like in terms of transporting them across state lines. We always get health certificates for our munchkins before they get adopted out of state. So with these wayward, tiny reptiles, it just happens. And I always go to the DNR or whatever state entity to look up whether or not I'm allowed to have it before we accept it. So I had somebody reach out to me about a lizard that accidentally hitchhiked home with a finder from Columbia. Oh, and wow. and wasn't even that small. It seemed a little bigger to me. And and I I just couldn't accommodate it in any of my foster homes. So we reached out to our friends at the Chicago Herpetological Society who have a broader network and have been around a little longer. It's all about the resources and who you know. Huh. How do you sneak a lizard through customs? You don't. <laughs> it's illegal, don't do it, but also it's an accident sometimes. My my dad accidentally brought a house gecko home from Indonesia, oh. three international flights, two days, and I got a call at nine o'clock that night. There's a lizard on my scuba diving gear. Can you come get it? Wow. And that's how I ended up with Rufus. That's crazy. 
I just accidentally bring my my nail clippers in my in my bag, and those somehow get through security sometimes. <laughs> but um, I'd rather think I get ho- come home and and think, oh, I have a new gecko. Okay, as long as I know how to take care of it. Those are the easy ones because they're hands off. You just let them live their lives in a nice, appropriate enclosure and feed them the little bugs, and life is good. <laughs> well, Jessica, it's been a pleasure speaking with you this has been i mean again i I, this isn't really a field that i was very i was familiar with before this and i didn't realize before talking to you how much of a need there is for your organization and for help for these animals that you know like i said at the beginning of this i didn't even know what exotic meant and now it's very clear that this is an issue that you know needs to be addressed and that you're you're helping with before we go, you know, is there any, you mentioned an event earlier and I'd love for you to repeat uh, that event, but is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know? Absolutely. So once again, join us at Taste of Heaven, no reservations, first come, first serve uh, the evening of July 26th from 5 to 9 p.m. And a portion of the proceeds to the restaurant that evening will be going to us. Eat good food for a good cause. <laughs> Wonderful. That, just just know that we're here to rescue, rehabilitate, and rehome exotics and educate you all about their particular needs. Wonderful. Yeah, I didn't even know there was a exotic rescue in Andersonville. Surprise! Until recently, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and ideally part of this is that more people... Get the word out. Okay. We're going to get the word out, and and you know you'll uh, obviously any way that someone can help is our adoption and foster applications on our website are quick and easy. They will take you five minutes at most, and once you've completed them, give us a call. Like I said, I work three jobs, so if I don't get back to you right away, just know that I'm here and I'm a millennial, so I'm very good at responding. (laughs) Well, thank you, Jessica. And um, yeah, if you want more information on uh, Chicagoland Exotic Animal Rescue, if you want to inquire about getting um, some exotic animals to a birthday party or figure out how you can get get involved or your kids can get involved, head to clearrescue.org. Um, And I know people can also follow you on Instagram and you're on Facebook. Uh, So there's plenty of opportunities for them, uh, ways for them to get in touch with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank Thank you. Thank you for coming. 